Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 17. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 875. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. May God bless our understanding this reading from his holy word. I didn't tell Sean, but he was under some pressure this morning. I had his daughters in Sunday school, and they are such good readers. I was wondering, I wonder if Sean will be able to read as well as they do. So, good job, Sean. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we uh, are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the Lord Jesus and his Uh, directness in speaking uh, not just to the periphery of our lives, but right down into our very hearts. And so I pray that his word would penetrate our hearts. Open, God, the eyes of our heart that we might hear what our Lord is saying in his word, that we might believe it, that we might receive it, that we might obey it, we ask. In his name, amen. So, the session has called for a day of fasting and prayer this upcoming Thursday, September 9th. And if you're going to fast, I'd suggest that you start Wednesday after dinner. Eat dinner on Wednesday and then continue until you eat dinner on Thursday. We're having the service at 7 p.m. so that you can have dinner before you come. Uh, I know for health reasons some of you cannot fast uh, from eating, but there might be other fasts that you were you might consider. In fact, I was starting to tell Jim he needed to be quiet because he was going to steal some of my thunder from the sermon, but uh, I'll just take it as, uh, as godly reinforcement. Uh, so that we, so that it sticks. For instance, I'll, I'll be more specific. Some of you might do well to stay off your phones for 24 hours, except to make or receive phone calls. You know that might it might prove more challenging than you might otherwise expect. You know, there's so many things we can do on our phones that occupies more time than we realize. You know, the the iPhone has this little helpful feature, how much time you average per day on your cell phone. It can be kind of embarrassing to get that note and for others to know how much time we spend. It might be enlightening to know how connected to these devices we are that have very little practical importance in our lives. We play games on our phones. 
We check social media on our phones. We post social media um, posts. We read the news. We watch Netflix or some other video media. Or we fiddle around with some new app. And minute by minute turns into hour by hour. And we fiddle time away that we might spend in communion with God. We likely spend hours each day on our phones, yet we can't seem to find time to spend time with God in prayer and in Bible study. And I challenge you to find out how devoted you are to your phone. And if it is stealing your time and your devotion away from God. It's not only the phones that compete for our time and attention. There's computers. There's television. There's sporting events. There's hobbies. There's relationship concerns. There's news and there's politics. There's pains and there's difficulties. And then there's just the daily minutia. No wonder we make so little progress spiritually in our day and age. We're living distracted lives, and our God is getting the short end of the stick. Even if you are fasting from food this Wednesday, I want to encourage you, fast from the time stealers as well, from those things that distract us from God. Spend that time that you might have spent in front of news programming, or in front of video games, or uh, looking at social media. Spend that time sitting before God and praying for our nation, praying that God would be gracious and remove this pandemic from our world, that he would be gracious and convert some of our national and local leaders that we might not have to be living under um, the oppressive thumb of their unwise decisions. Uh, Pray for our nation that we would come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have time, or if you have a hard time praying, open up the church directory and pray family by family. Or you might open a psalm And pray through it verse by verse. I'd recommend Psalm 16. I think it's an appropriate psalm for what we are going through. Um, It's a little off the beaten path in the Psalms. It's fairly short uh, and easy to understand the gist of it. I'd also, for the same reasons, recommend Psalm 20. Um. And I've been thinking about these psalms a lot because uh, Jan Leathers and I sat at her kitchen table and we read Psalms 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. And those two psalms really stood out to me um, as we were reading. And you could pray Psalm 20 for yourself. You could pray Psalm 20 for some other person that you're concerned about. You could pray Psalm 20 for our nation. So Psalm 16, Psalm 20, or really just about any of the Psalms. And I've taken this time in this sermon to talk about um, these things that distract us from our devotion to God because this is the exact 
issue at play in the discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees. You will remember that Jesus ended his parable of the dishonest manager by saying in verse 13, you cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees smirked when Jesus said this. You know, they were the most religiously devout people in all of Judah, but they were also among the richest. Look at verse 14 and and picture in your mind's eye them smirking at the Lord Jesus. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. If Jesus were a contemporary pastor in our day, I think what I think at that point he would have disengaged. If they were going so low as to besmirch and belittle him, surely there's no further benefit in engaging with them, right? You know, if you can't win them with kindness and smiles, well, you have no chance, so we are told. But engaging in, an, in a dispute... That's only going to give a black eye to Christianity. Nobody likes a confrontation, right? Our Lord Jesus does not walk away. Rather, he opens a gaping wound in their soul, and then he begins pouring salt in it. What would Jesus do? You know, we often hear, well, sometimes he confronts, And he causes a ruckus. He loved those Pharisees while he faced them down. And it only served to make them more angry. Listen to Jesus in verse 15. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. I am afraid we are living in a time where we are not going to win people to Christ with sugar plums and lollipops. I think we are going to need to be be, um, willing to be more confrontational in our witness for Christ. It causes me to shudder because I like for people to like me. But I, I, I think the day in which we're living in is calling for more direct confrontation. We see it here in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling the Pharisees in verse 15 that it is foolish for them to try and justify their love of money while claiming outwardly to love God. The Pharisees thought that as long as they were attentive to all the religious ceremonies, to all the the moral codes, that they were justified before God But Jesus said, God knows your heart. That's an awesome thing to remember, that God knows your heart. That he knows your heart at all times. He knows your secret thoughts. He knows your hidden desires. He knows your unspoken dreams. He knows your concealed motives so completely that if you were to shout them, In his ear, we would reveal nothing new to him. Your life is exposed to God. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's an awesome thing to remember that. Not just your actions, but your heart is open and revealed to God at every moment. On the other hand, although it is terrifying, it is ultimately good news. Because you don't have to be like the Pharisees who are trying to justify themselves outwardly. Rather, you can take your secret thoughts. You can take your hidden desires and your concealed motives, and you can go to God honestly. If you love money too much um, so that money is your joy rather than God, or if you're secretly addicted to some uh, substance or some practice, or if, you're outward, if you outwardly give an impression of godliness, but you find your real satisfaction in the godly reputation you have before others, if you put on a hard, cold shell over your personality because you're inwardly scared people won't like the real you, if God is less important to you than some of those distractions like the cell phone and computer, TV, Netflix that we mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, I've got some really, really good news for you. God knows your heart. You don't have to hide from him. You don't have to live a lie before him. You can approach him just as you are, and you can tell him who you are in a way that no one else understands. He knows you. And he knows what you need. And he can lead you into repentance. He can lead you into real life change. You don't have to be stuck behind a hidden veil living a lie. Because God knows your heart. It might feel like he is upending your life as you take your secret desires to him and you begin to fall more in love with God than those secret desires, it'll be difficult, but it'll be worth it. And you'll be happier. To be clear, what Jesus is talking about here is idolatry. Money and reputation were idols for the, the Pharisees. And so Jesus uses this word abomination at the end of verse 15. The word abomination is the language of idolatry. Again, he says, For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You know, the power of adultery, I'm sorry, the power of idolatry does not exist in our fat checkbooks or in the new car the sitting in the driveway, or in the big house. The power of idolatry exists in our hearts where we desire something more than God. God calls these desires an abomination in his sight. 
So what abominations might you be cherishing? What abominations might you be nourishing? What abominations might you be devoting yourself to? What abominations might you be cuddling up with and finding your security in outside of God? Moving on to verse 16. Verse 16 is a difficult verse to understand at first blush. So he says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. You know, I've been reading Luke rather closely for the last two years, and he has this little way of of shortening the sermons of Jesus and not giving all the details, but when you look at it in an expanded view, it starts to make perfect sense. And so I think this is what's happening here. Basically, Jesus is saying that John the Baptist is the dividing line between the Old Testament and the New Testament. John the Baptist lived in the Old Testament, but he prophesied of the Messiah who was coming. He didn't look backwards, he only looked forwards. And so it's like he was... um, the continental divide, so to speak. I got to, to, to go skiing in Colorado on the mountain that Loveland Pass, which I think is the continental divide. One, one side, the, the uh, water flows to the west. On the other side, all the water flows to the east, however it goes. But John the Baptist is a continental divide between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, with all its sacrifices, all its religious ceremonies, these things were just in a shadow anticipating the reality, which was Jesus Christ. Now that Christ has appeared, um, now that he has appeared preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, people are forcing their way in to the kingdom of God. Before, the nation of Israel was exclusive. People were, not, people were excluded from Israel. Now, after Christ, uh, people from every tribe, nation, language, people are, are forcing their way into the kingdom of God. Remember, our passage is uh, just an extended um, uh, sermon that started way back in uh, Luke chapter 15 when the Pharisees started complaining. You remember what they were f- complaining about at the beginning of chapter 15? They were complaining about the tax collectors and the sinners following Jesus. I'll read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep, of the lost coin, of the lost son, and how God was going and looking for them. And Jesus is saying, these tax collectors, these sinners, they are following me because they are forcefully um, seeking after the kingdom of God. It seems clear to me that Jesus is saying, here in verse um, in verse verse sixteen, that um, the only way to repent of the idols of the heart 
is to press yourself forcefully into the kingdom of God. Verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. The days of types and shadows are over, religious ceremonies, the sacrifices of animals, the importance of the temple are all now inconsequential and irrelevant. The Savior has appeared. The fulfillment of all those types and shadows has come. So, listen to him. Entrust yourself to him. Do not let anything stand in the, between you and wholehearted devotion to him. Don't let this little device stand between you and your wholehearted devotion to him. Don't let anything. Your Savior has come here to earth. He has died for your sins. He is risen in glory. He is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for you. Don't let this world and the trivial things in this world be a distraction in your devotion to him. The Greek word for forces here in verse 16 carries with it the idea of aggressiveness, even violence. Jesus is saying that everyone must press forward into his kingdom with the greatest earnestness and determination. It will require on your part uh, self-denial. It will require on your part an unstoppable zeal. Think of the men who broke through the roof so that they could lure their friend into the presence of Jesus so that he might uh, heal them. A roof would not stop them. Think of the woman who pressed her way through the crowd so that she could touch just the hem of Jesus' garment and be healed. Think of that Canaanite woman whose daughter was oppressed by a demon and she came to Jesus Help me, Jesus. And Jesus said to her, It is not right to take the children's bread and to give it to the dogs. And he was saying this because he wanted her to press forward in her faith. And press forward she did. She said, Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She would not be dissuaded. Just think if your daughter, your child, is sick. And Jesus is able to heal them. Or your daughter is oppressed by a demon. Are you, as a mother, going to be stopped? No, you are going to press forward. You are not going to let anything stop you. And that's what Jesus is saying. Everyone presses forward, even violently, so to speak. Jesus, king of hyperbole, to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you'll fight against any idols of the heart that hinder you in your devotion to Christ. So let me ask you, has Christ become irresistible to you? Is he the all-compelling sinner that moves your life in every respect? Does he command your big decisions? Does he command your little decisions? Does he influence you during your downtime? Or is he only just a tangential insurance policy that you are using to make sure you get into heaven? 
Is he your is he your only need for or do you only need him as a moral teacher in a society that is immoral and is crumbling? Or is he for you, the risen Son of God, who is worthy of all your worship and all your devotion? When God the Holy Spirit opens your heart to believe the gospel, there is an irresistible, all-compelling desire to please and to trust Jesus Christ. You can read Psalm 119. The heart desire of David expressed all the way through those many verses of Psalm 119 is the heart desire of every Christian who has been awakened, drawn to the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Christ, he is so delightful that he is all compelling. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Is he all compelling for you? Do you obey him? Is he important to you beyond the Sunday morning worship hour? If you, if the Holy Spirit has opened your heart, there's nothing in this world more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if this experience is unknown to you, you should really ask Jesus, or really ask yourself, do I know Jesus at all? God-produced faith causes one to storm the gates of heaven. God-produced faith will also assault the idolatry that uh, is living in your heart. When the Holy Spirit, Spirit produces um, produces in you faith in Christ. He gives you a resolution in your will. Come what may, I am going to have Christ. I am going to say no to that which he hates. I am going to go to heaven and I am going to seek to live a pure life in him because he loves me so much. You know, when the Holy Spirit produces real faith in you, dangers are despised. We see these Christians, these poor first century Christians, who were willing to give their lives to the flames and to the lions because of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit has produced true faith in you, difficulties will be trampled upon and idols will be assaulted. But what if you have a mixed resolution, a half resolution? One foot in heaven, one foot here on earth. James says you're double-minded. Or as Jesus says in verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But where you have a single mind, a single-minded resolution to honor and live for Christ, your affections will follow. Uh, and they will follow with passionate longings after Christ. Passionate longings after heaven. 
passionate longings after Christ's glory and the growth of his glorious kingdom. Thomas Watson said that the affections are like the wings of a bird which make the soul swift in its flight after glory. You will be willing to say no to yourself. Be willing to say no to your idols. You will be eager to say no to Satan and to the, to the world because you are so aggressive about entering the kingdom of heaven and pleasing your Lord. These poor Pharisees, they were unwilling. They were so bent on their love of money. They were so bent on their love of adoration by the masses. They couldn't hear what the Lord Jesus was saying. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Or is there an idol or a lifestyle that is causing you to close the ears of your heart? Open them to the Lord Jesus. Come to him. Seek him now and ask him to give you grace to turn to him wholly and trust in him. He loves you. you know, our Lord Jesus left heaven. Eternity in perfection. Eternity in fellowship within the triune God. And he left heaven, came here and took a weak body like us. He obeyed in everything here on earth. He even submitted to wicked and ungodly rulers while he lived here on earth. The king of kings, the king of the universe, paid taxes to Caesar because he loved us so much. He submitted to the cross because he loved us so much. And he went to that cross not just to forgive you of your sins, but to make you holy, to transform your entire existence. When you come to him, he desires to set your life right side up. He, he intends to make your life what it was intended to be before the fall. You still live here in a world full of sin. You still have the flesh. But your life will be more secure, more happy, more like what God intended to, it to be. So I, I urge you, I command you by the, the authority of Christ, press forward into the kingdom of heaven. Let nothing stop you. Fight the good fight of faith. You have a Savior who is fighting for you and is infinitely more powerful than you. And he loves you. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, I do pray that you would help us to press forward into the kingdom of heaven. Press forward past all the little distractions that are nipping at our hills or nipping at our hearts. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would make us into a people that commune with you and love communing with you more than anything this earth has to offer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.